If you've got your Bibles, you might like to turn to the passage on, on the screen, although the words will appear. Isaiah chapter 6. And uh, I do want to try and at least lead into the conference in some way. We do feel very strongly that God is stirring us this way. And uh, the way to lead into this, I, I really felt, was to go to Isaiah chapter 6. And uh, hopefully you've got it in front of you in your Bible. It's good to look at the different translations of the passage. But uh, the passage itself is up there on the screen in case you don't have your Bibles. In fact, what I'm going to ask is that we all join in and we simply read the passage on the screen through. All right? So Isaiah chapter 6, let's read it. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Very famous passage. Father, I pray that you come upon us by your Spirit, that we might see something of what is going on in heaven, and that we might see something of what you're doing on the earth. Father, we pray come upon us in increasing measure in these days. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Okay, well, several months I came across a certain code or phrase. And the phrase is this. London Bridge is down. Now, I wonder if you could raise your hands if you know what that code is about. A few hands going up around the room. London Bridge is down. There's a few of you. Well, I'd never come across that phrase before until several months ago when I was listening to a, a, a radio program and, uh, and they were talking about it. And for those who don't know, this code, it's a code that will go out to the Commonwealth Heads of State and other various influential groups when the Queen, the present Queen, passes on when she dies. When she dies, this code will go out. London Bridge is down. And at that moment, a hugely complex process will kick off to oversee the whole event. The thing is, when I heard about this on the radio program, I felt a bit strange. Because I thought, what do you mean the Queen passing on? She's always been there. I mean, I've never known life without the Queen, have you? I mean, she's been reigning for how long? Is it 60 years? 60 years. So, so none of us here have ever known a time when she wasn't the Queen. Elizabeth was the Queen. She's always been there. So, so we've all grown up with the Queen hovering around in the background of our lives. I remember when I was five years old, I met the Queen uh, when I was five. A little um, blow my trumpet here. Uh, if you want to know how I met her, well, me and my mum were in Lambton Quay with thousands of other people. She was holding my hand. It was pouring down with rain, and we were waiting for hours for the Queen to pass by. And uh, eventually, this big car rolled by and rolled past us, and I'm sure I saw the back of the Queen's head. <laughs> that was the Queen. The point is, she's always been there. Can't imagine life without her. And, you know, in a similar way, no one is, Isaiah's day, in Isaiah's day, no one could remember a time when the king, King Uzziah, no one could remember a time when he hadn't been king. Because Uzziah reigned for 52 years. That's a long period of time in the ancient world. 52 years. 
And what made his reign so outstanding was that it was a very peaceful, stable time for Israel, or the southern kingdom of Israel. It was a prosperous time. Although when he got older, yes, his son had to step up and take some more on because he got ill, it was a very, very prosperous period. Almost everyone had only ever grown up knowing him as king and in a prosperous place. But eventually, there came an extraordinary day, London bridges down. The code word or the word went out and the unthinkable happened and Uzziah died. Now, when eventually this happens to our queen, as I said, there's a whole range of processes put in place to make sure the handover of the crown is secure and peaceful. All right, the funeral apparently has already been planned. The media ha have already had their heads up, they're prepared. Amazing, isn't it? They're all so prepared. Prince Charles, no doubt, is also primed. So it will be a seamless handover. But the reality is, there's no real danger of instability in the UK because, of course, the real power in the land doesn't rest with the monarchy anyway. It rests with Parliament. And so actually, nothing much will change when that event happens. Now, this is very different in Isaiah's day. Very different. Because in the ancient world, when a monarch dies, it's like the government disappears. It's like everything falls apart. Anything can happen. I mean, countries, when, when kings die in the ancient world, they, they can often descend into chaos as various factions vie for power and try and get the throne. And most often there's bloodshed somewhere. And often there's outright slaughter when the king dies. And so there's terrible uncertainty. And certainly in Jerusalem, it must have been flooded with uncertainty at this point when Uzziah dies. And you can imagine many of the people thinking, we've had 52 years of stability and peace. It's all we've ever known. And suddenly the prospect of all of that changing is opening up. And you can imagine there'll be some very anxious people in Jerusalem. And I, I can't imagine that Isaiah would have felt any differently. So Isaiah does the right thing at least. He makes his way up to the temple in Jerusalem and he begins to pray. And I can so imagine Isaiah crying out to God, God, you've got to, you've got to help us now. This whole floor of our world is falling away. You've got to come through for us. And as he prays, it's one of those moments when heaven opens and he sees this amazing sight. I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe fills the temple. It's like he looks into heaven. It's the same thing that John sees, the Apostle John, if you know the story, at the end of Scripture. In uh, Revelation chapter 4, if you remember that, it says in Revelation 4 that John sees a door open into heaven and he looks in and he sees the glory of God, this king upon his throne and there are thousands and thousands of angels and it's just the 24 elders throwing their crowns down before him. It is glorious and majestic. And it's like those two guys, Isaiah and John, have the privilege of seeing what's going on in heaven even when there's huge upheaval on earth. So even in John's day, right, at that point, the church is being persecuted, people are dying, families are being split up. So it's full of turmoil in John's day. And then in Isaiah's day, his whole world is on the brink of falling apart. And yet for both, it's like the curtain is drawn back and they're allowed to see the incredible majesty and sovereignty and eternal unshakability of God's heavenly kingdom. Amazing. 
And I guess the first obvious point just to make really is that there's this, it's whatever turmoil the earth may be going through, the kingdom of heaven remains unaffected. God's sovereign power remains undiminished. He is high and exalted, seated on a throne. That is true in Isaiah's day, that was true in John's day, and it's true in our day. It is true. So, I mean, put it this way, God is not worried about Donald Trump or what's coming out of America at the moment. All right? He's not concerned about what North Korea is trying to do with, with, with missiles these days. He's not panicked over Iran's secret nuclear program or what Brexit will mean if you're English uh, this morning. He's not concerned about it at all. No, his kingdom is infinitely larger. In fact, even one of the greatest emperors of the day in the ancient world is humbled by God and finally forced to concede this. He finally says, his dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. He does what he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. And then, of course, this is picked up in the New Testament as well, in Colossians, where it says, In him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. That's what Esther was praying earlier, the king of glory. He is the king of glory. This is the sovereign power of our God. And that's why I've always struggled with the concept that God needs us to come to him. And I remember many years ago hearing a, an evangelistic preacher saying, come to Jesus, he needs your love. Well, actually, he doesn't. He doesn't at all. As A.W. Tozer once famously said, even if all the world turned atheist tomorrow, it would not affect God at all. It wouldn't take away from him at all. It would take a lot from us. We'd be lost. But it wouldn't take anything from God. He is sovereign. Ruler. Yes? Yes. And also the staggering thing about God's sovereign power over all things is this. That even though the world is so full of evil and sin and grief, even though the enemy is still active, God is still sustaining all things on earth with incredible detail. Incredible detail. So Jesus says in Matthew 10, he simply says this, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's well. I mean, just think about that for a second. Think about how many dead birds you probably drove past on your way to church this morning. I mean, they drop out of the sky regularly, don't they? You see them decaying on the pavement or the cat running off with one. Yet not one of them falls outside the will of God outside of his sovereign involvement. Isn't that amazing? And then Jesus goes on to say this, even the very hairs on your head are numbered. Now I know for some here that's not a big deal. <laughs> Stop looking. <laughs> There's Matt, one, two, three, four. But for others of us it is a big deal. What incredible detail. He sustains it all. Every atom, every particle. It says in Hebrews 1, he sustains all things by his word of power. If he was to take his hand off us, we would cease to be. So he reigns glorious in heaven, and yet he's also involved sustaining the earth. 
Actually, it's why I love, I really love Psalm 139, that famous psalm, where the psalmist says to God, you know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. What, what incredible intimate detail. And he goes on to say this in that psalm, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. And I still remember seeing my firstborn on the ultrasound scan before he was born. And I remember the amazing picture of Sam wriggling around inside Julie at the time. And I remember thinking, I really shouldn't be looking at this. It's not my territory. It's God's. God's. This is God's territory. So again, God is glorious in heaven and his will is uncontested there. There's no sin in heaven, only perfect love, perfect holiness. And yet as far as the earth is concerned, even though it's fallen and sinful, he still sustains it in such detail. This is our sovereign Lord. Now, can I just say, if we were to really understand that truth, and get it in our hearts and our heads, I think it would deeply affect us in all kinds of ways. And I want to just mention two with you this morning, two ways it should affect us. First of all, surely, surely it would affect our sense of value, wouldn't it? To know that you are not an accident, yeah? I mean, in the world, you and I, we may never amount to being more than a statistic or just a face in the crowd, but... The Bible tells me that God lovingly puts you together in your mother's womb. Hallelujah. And he knows every hair on your head. He loves you so intimately. Isn't that wonderful? And then not only that, but he loved you so much that he sent his son to bring you back to himself that you might become his child. This is wonderful love. I was 14 years old when I came across that truth and I remember it totally blew my mind. I still remember the night when I was running down the street. It was dark. It was a Sunday night because it was a Sunday evening service. Running down the street shouting, God loves me. Deeply impacted my life. So to Jesus, you're not a statistic or an accident. I almost felt, as I was preparing, I felt God almost say to me, you need to say that and underline that this morning. You're not an accident. Sometimes I know we can feel that way on an ocean bobbing around. You are not an accident. God knows you, loves you, formed you. That's the first thing. But the second thing is this. Knowing this truth about God's sovereignty should set us up for incredible expectation. You see, on the one hand, you know, some people trip up over God's sovereignty, don't they? They think, well, well, if God is so glorious and powerful and detailed, then, then what do we do then? What's the point? What's the point of praying because he knows what I need anyway? What's the point of even praying for the sick? I mean, God will heal if he wants to heal, irrespective of me. Or even, what's the point of sharing our faith? He can break in and call anyone to himself his sovereign. He will do what he will do. What's the point of me doing anything? And, and so I think for many believers, their faith kind of dribbles down to becoming a kind of a case, sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. You know, God will do what God will do. And in the meantime, we'll just live our lives and pay the bills and put the kids through school and go to church and save up for our retirement. 
you know, that's nothing else to do really. I think many believers have kind of slipped into that, which I would say is a terrible tragedy. A terrible tragedy, because people who believe that have forgotten one other very, very big thing about all of this. And, and to explain it, I need to go back again to when I was a very small child. Talk about my boyhood quite a bit this morning. Well, as a little boy, about again, maybe no more than five or six years old, I had my first experience on board a ship. And the ship was a boat going between Wellington and Picton. Uh, the Aramoana, as it was back then, I believe. Uh, it was a ferry boat, you know, like the, no different in size to the ones we have today. But to me, as a little boy, it was enormous. I mean, you know those big P&O cruise liners that come into Wellington, you drive along Aotearoa look up, massive great thing. Well, to me, that's what it looked like. And I still remember standing on the quay, looking up at this massive great ship that went on forever and ever. In fact, it was so big, I remember feeling scared. You know what it's like when you see something so big, you feel a bit scared? And that was me. And I, it looked, seemed to me like a massive great island rising up out of the sea. And uh, once I was inside, there was so much to see inside, there stairs to climb and galleys to walk around and rooms to explore and people everywhere. Um, must have stressed mum and dad no end. But I, I still remember the moment when the horn blew, you know, when I was about to depart. I didn't know what it meant, but the horn blew. I remember running upstairs onto the deck, uh, looking between the, 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 the rails on the deck, looking down, long way down, and, and I suddenly realised that this huge, great thing was moving. Didn't feel it, but I looked down and I realised it was moving. It wasn't static, it wasn't sitting on the sea, it was going somewhere and I was on it. And that's the great thing to understand about the sovereign heavenly kingdom. Not only is it huge, holy, eternal, majestic, but it's moving. Yeah. All right? It's moving. It's going somewhere, and you and I are on it. Yeah. That's the bottom line. You and I are on it. And I think we need to recapture the wonder of that again, that this sovereign God isn't just sitting in heaven, being worshipped, and just quietly sustaining all things on earth. He is on the move. The kingdom is on the move. We need to recapture that again. And if you want to know, well, where is it moving to? Well, since Jesus' day, it has been moving from heaven onto the earth. I say since Jesus' day because that's when he first begins his ministry. And the very first thing he says is, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, it's arriving now from heaven onto the earth. This massive ship is moving. And so he begins to bring heaven with them. He heals the sick. He cleanses uh, those with skin diseases. He frees the oppressed. He casts out demons. And he goes to the cross and he dismantles the foundation of the enemy's power. And then having begun, having introduced the kingdom, he commissions his followers to carry on in the power of the Spirit and multiply and multiply the rule of God on earth. And so we're called to continue to heal the sick, deliver, preach freedom, to bring the kingdom onto the earth. The ship is on the, on, on the move, and the whole weight of heaven is behind it. That's the point. And because of that, how can I remain passive? Passivity is just not an option. No, because we know it's on the move, because we know the Spirit is moving and looking to heal and deliver and save, because we know he's called us to be his instruments, we are called to do. We can do now. We've been given permission. In fact, we've been called to. 
And you know what? It's amazing to me that since that far-off time, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus first introduced the kingdom, my belief is that this whole ship has continued to move. And there's been a dismantling and a destroying of the works of the enemy. And can I just say, if you look at it closely enough, you'll see that the signs of the kingdom, the healings and the deliverances and the miraculous have been consistently seen down the ages through good centuries and bad. It's always been there. And actually, if you're aware of it or not, over the last century or so, the temperature has been rising dramatically. You may not be aware of it, but it is. So that in our day, whole continents now are being affected. Whole continents. In fact, to the point that the secular media are now picking it up in a way they've never done before. I came across this uh, news article from the Daily Telegraph, a very secular newspaper. It's about two years old, and it said this. Daily Telegraph, China on course to become world's most Christian nation within 15 years. This is 2014, this article. It will happen in less than a generation. Not many people are prepared for this dramatic change. Feng Yang Yang. Professor said, by 2030, China's total Christian population will exceed 247 million, placing it as the largest Christian congregation in the world. He predicted, Mao thought he could eliminate religion. He thought he had accomplished this, Professor Yang said. It's ironic, they didn't. They actually failed completely. A recent study found that online searches for the words Christian congregation and Jesus far, far outnumbered those for the Communist Party and Xi Jinping, China's president. That is staggering. Think about China in the 1970s, the Cultural Revolution. They reckon at one point there were no more than about 40 or 50,000 believers in the whole country. Now they're estimating nearly 250 million in just over 10 years' time. That's phenomenal. And of course, if you read the stories of the healings and the miraculous and the deliverances that attend on that, it's breathtaking. Came across some other secular uh, statistics as well. South America apparently uh, would, would say, would claim that 70% that, that would claim a Christian faith. Some put it higher than that. Over half of the population of the African continent, get a secular statistic, over half of the population of the African continent actively claim a Christian faith. Again, the stories of miracles, we know about Heidi Baker, but actually not long ago in Sydney, Dave Devendish was there, and he was telling us fresh stories of what's going on in Africa at the moment. In Somalia, war-torn Somalia, churches are springing up all over the place. South Sudan, groups of churches, families of churches are looking for input. It's amazing, and the miraculous is incredible. Guys, we're living in days of astonishing movement. Even in the Middle East, I heard two days ago from a good source that the country in the world where the church proportionately is growing the fastest is Iran. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Hundreds of thousands are coming to Jesus through visions, miracles, dreams. We're living in days of astonishing movement. Now, yes, it's important to note that the key features on this huge movement are to do with prayer and they are to do with suffering. Those two things are very, very predominant. 
But the kingdom is on the move. And if you ask me, well, well, Pete, where is it going to? Well, well, that's easy because the promise is the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. And this message of the kingdom will be preached to every ethnic group and then the end will come. That's where it's all going. What a day to be alive. Now, now listen, I, I know we could easily say at this point, yeah, Pete, but what about us then? What about us? What about nations like ours? You know, USA, Europe. By comparison, we're hardly seeing anything. Well, I'd really like to push back on you in that and say, actually, we are beginning to see some things. We are. Wonderful stories are beginning to circulate. But they're only happening as God's people are beginning to obey the very first command Jesus ever gave as he began his ministry. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. That word repent is so important. All it simply means is it means to change your way of thinking, change your outlook, adjust your expectations and believe the good news. What's the good news? Well, the good news is that the time has come and the kingdom is here. That's the good news. That's the good news. And Jesus is saying, change your way of thinking from the empty and dull outlook you may have had and believe the good news. And that's what we're called to do to adjust and to believe the good news that the kingdom is on the way. Hallelujah. And actually, can I just say, that's what we're doing next weekend. This conference isn't just a nice thing to put in the calendar, it's actually an opportunity to continue to repent. What I mean by that, an opportunity to continue to change our way of thinking and to change our expectations. So, so I want to go into this conference with expectation and I want to come out changed. I want to come out having repented some more as it were, adjusted my thinking more and seen the kingdom come in greater measure than ever before. Let's have that aim. And if you haven't signed up then can I just say if you haven't signed up, sign up. Sign up. What we're simply doing is we're coming in line more and more with Jesus' great command. Turn and believe the good news the kingdom is here. Sign up. The other side of this, of course, you see, if you don't repent, if we continue the way we've been, well, the problem is we may miss the boat. The ship is on the move, but we can miss the boat. Jesus is looking for a church that will obey him, repent and believe. So just for a moment or two as I close, can I just ask us to pray about this conference this coming weekend? Because I believe it can be truly life-changing. So let's just stand on our feet and let's just understand the context in which we're having this conference. The kingdom has come. Isaiah looked into heaven and he saw the Lord high and exalted, glorious in majesty. God's intention is that we more and more see that on earth. So let's just stand for a second and let's just forget about the person next to you and let's just, as it were, ask God to come powerfully upon us this coming weekend. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we do. Father, we turn to you right now and we say, Lord, we want to, as it were, repent 
in the sense that we want to change our way of thinking. And we want to believe the good news that heaven's kingdom is coming upon the earth. Lord, we want to thank you for what you're doing around the world these days where, where millions are turning to you. When continents are shifting. Hallelujah. What a day to be alive. Father, for our part, we don't want to miss the boat. We say, God, please sweep us up in all that you are doing. And Father, we pray for this, this conference, Lord. Would you breathe upon it? Would you make it so instrumental in your shaping of us? In our turning away from the way we've, we may have thought in the past to believe that you're on the move and on the way. Father, we want to be built up and equipped. We want to see the sick healed. We want to see the oppressed released and freed. We want to see your kingdom come in power. Father, we want to move on as a church, Lord. We want to believe your first great command, Lord Jesus. Repent and believe I'm on the way. Father, we pray by your Holy Spirit rest upon us. And Lord, if we've been wondering whether to go or not, I pray please even now convince us. What a precious opportunity. We want to get all we can out of it, Lord. And so we commit it to you. We pray today and throughout the week, prepare our hearts. And we pray next weekend, breathe upon us breath of God. We say, Father, we want to move forward. And as a result, we want to see life after life transformed and the kingdom coming with power. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah.